Welcome into the second episode of Millennial Opinion. I'm Harris White here with Ty Tudhope, and it took us one episode before we could wait to get Jared Belcher back on the podcast, and he is joining us here today. Jared, the fans missed you. We missed you so much. We couldn't wait, but just seven days to bring you back. Oh, man. I'm just excited to be back. It's been a couple of years, but I'm ready to get back into it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Ty, long week of football. Did you did you feed your appetite? Are you feeling full on football or do you want more? <laughs> man, that was like the little appetizer. I'm ready for I'm ready for some some big time games this weekend. I'm heading up to Happy Valley, Auburn, Penn State. Hopefully, uh hopefully my Tigers can pull it out this weekend. It's a big game, but we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Well, you're right. And it's it's a five-course meal when it comes to college football and NFL being thrown into the mix this week. A lot of good games to talk about, a lot of things that we're going to highlight. Uh, so let's get started. Wallison, can't get in. What you running for? Where is it you want to go? Where is it you want to go? Overtime, overtime. First stuff we're going to cover today, I think we're going to highlight the college. Uh, just outlook in general after this week, there was a lot of big games. Honestly, a lot of really, really big upsets and uh, things that shifted around, at least from the preseason ranking, that seems to have been thrown in the blender at this point. There's just all these teams that have started out towards the top or middle of the pack that are now no longer looking at um, looking at even the chance to get in the playoff. And then a lot of teams that are creeping in there, like our Auburn Tigers, so we won't start off with Auburn. We'll give a little preview of Penn State and Auburn later on. But first of all, let's talk about the Big Ten. And I think the biggest game of the week and thing that everybody's talking about is Ohio State losing at Oregon. Yeah, I mean, that just opens up the Big Ten a good bit. You have Michigan with a big win over Washington, as well as obviously Penn State 2-0 and going into this week. I mean – Ohio State's definitely got to get a defense is all I got to say if they're going to if they're going to run the table to get back into it and get back in the playoff conversation because uh, CJ Verdell for Oregon had a field day I think he had like almost 200 yards and three touchdowns eight yards a carry yeah yeah 20 yeah 20 carries for 161 for Verdell two touchdowns he's averaging like Jared he did said, have a, a 77 yard run so yeah he also of, had yeah. It, but. He also had three receptions out of the backfield for um, 34 yards and a touchdown as well. Um, but Ohio State, like you said, Ty, just that lack of defense. And, I mean, coming into the year, that's why I was picking them to, to have to fall off a little bit. And then it seems like they figured some things out in that second half against Minnesota. And I was optimistic coming into this week against Oregon, but they obviously got exposed. And, uh, you know, things are starting to – this is kind of – that first week is uh, – you can almost toss it out at times because – you see teams like Oklahoma who played a lot closer games in those first week who people were high on coming into the year. And then one week goes by and they change their picks. And then another week goes by and it seems like things kind of level out back to how they were preseason. So Jared, what do you think of this Ohio state team? Do you think it's ridiculous for people on a, you know, that are cheering for the Buckeyes to be optimistic about them getting back in the playoff? 
No, I think it's completely realistic. Um, C.J. Stroud, the way he played, I mean, he's a freshman, correct, this year? Yeah, correct. true freshman. Yeah. So if he plays like that and keeps getting better, I mean, sky's the limit for that kid. And defensively, I always feel like they have talent. It's just a matter of putting it together this year. So yeah. I really think if they run the table, they got Penn State, Wisconsin. They play Wisconsin every year or no? I'm not sure. Uh, no, I don't think so. so but I, think I think they, they only have Penn State. And Michigan. They, but they, they always beat Michigan. Yeah, Michigan sucks. So, so the yeah, rest of their schedule I mean, is they have Tulsa, then Akron, Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana, who has fallen out of the ranking at this point, Penn State at home. They have Nebraska, Purdue, uh, Michigan State at home, and Michigan on the roads. Yeah, I think they're running the table there and getting in the playoff. Yeah. Unless I mean, they lose in the Big Ten Championship. Which do they still have a championship or is that? Yeah, they do. Okay, I thought one of them didn't have one, but yeah, I think they're in. Yeah, man, they're three receivers with uh, Olave, Wilson, and the young kid, the Smith in Jigba. I think they all had over a hundred yards. I don't know. I guess the last time I've seen that was when Bama had four first round receivers, but other than that, man, they they pose mass matchup issues all over the field on offense. So. They can just get a little bit of run stopping ability on defense. I think I think they'll be all right. Yeah, and I think it's weird because you're kind of used to this Ohio State team, at least under Ryan Day in the later years of Urban Meyer, having some defensive guys up front on the D line, like whether it's Chase Young or the Bosa brothers. Like Ohio State's always had some guys in that front seven who are playmakers, and it's really really looked kind of kind of like ghost town up there for them this year. Um, but I think you're right, Jerry. I think you hit the nail on the head talking about C.J. Stroud. You know, if you're an Ohio State fan, welcome to reality of college football. Sometimes you have to look ahead a couple seasons, and you're not in the uh, competition for the championship every single year. Like, that's that's the most fans' reality. Maybe not the fans at Ohio State, but you're looking at the C.J. Stroud kid, and you're saying, okay, he's 35 or 54 and 484 yards and three touchdowns. Like, I'll take that from, from a true freshman quarterback who looks like down the road he could be one of the best players in the country. Um but I think that that big that interception down the road, or in, at the end of that game, uh, almost was you know pretty exemplary of everything that we saw this weekend from NFL to college was like just I saw a lot of bad decision uh, interceptions like not not missing a read just like trying to make a play when it wasn't there and I think that yeah. we might see more of that this year people are itching to be back on the field they're itching to make plays and be on Sports Center have the fans going crazy. And um, maybe the game sped up a little bit. And as a true freshman, I definitely think that could get the best of you. But what about Iowa and Iowa State? How good is this Hawkeyes team? Man, I've still yet to make a decision on them because I think, as we talked about last week, you can kind of throw last year out of the window. And I think Indiana may have been a little overrated coming into the year. So they had a big win against Indiana. And then you look at Iowa State, I guess we're going to have to see what Iowa State does the rest of the year. But they didn't look too great. I think they won 16-10 against Northern Iowa. And then they uh, they were just giving Iowa the ball on the other side of the 50 every time, it seemed like, in this game, throwing picks, fumbling. So Iowa's had some fortunate turnover, little turnover bug for them. So we'll see how they can compete. Do they play Ohio State? 
Uh, they do they not. Don't. Yeah, I'm looking they at don't. Them. All right. Well, so that Penn could be a potential State. Big Ten matchup coming yeah. into the year. Mm-hmm. Penn State in a month, or a little bit less than a month. Yeah, at I, Iowa. And I, and I think that that would be a solid game. The unfortunate part here, if you're uh, a Cyclones fan cheering for Iowa State, is that one, the USC job just became available, and you know that their coach is going to be one of the first guys that they're looking at to fill that job. Two, you have a, a quarterback in Brock Purdy who's played in a lot of big games at this point in his career, and they've yet to get over the hump against Iowa. I think, I mean, what was it? They've lost six straight, I think, to the Hawkeyes. Yeah, I think that's yeah. And, right. And so this guy's played in a lot of big games, played in a Big 12 championship last year against uh, Oklahoma, and he is 13 for 27 with 138 and three interceptions. And Here's a I, question for you. If uh, Iowa State wins out, are they in? with a win against Oklahoma, but no other top 25 wins. I think it kind of shakes out to see what the rest of the SEC looks like. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, if you're talking about if, if Georgia loses in the SEC championship, but if they somehow drop another game at one point in the year, then they're probably out with a loss in the SEC championship. If they went out against and then lose to Bama in the SEC championship, then they're probably in. If Bama wins out and loses to Georgia, they're still probably in. So I think that it's yeah. Gonna make up. You have to have one. one also, SEC team. Do they play? Do they play Oklahoma in the regular season? Yeah. So oh, I'm pretty sure in the Big Twelve, isn't it just the top two teams go to the conference championship? It's not like division. I don't think right? they have one. I think they, they do. do. They do have one. They play There's one conference that doesn't have a championship. They will. They will they have to play Oklahoma. Have Twice probably, so I feel like if they won out and beat Oklahoma twice, yeah, and started beating teams pretty handily, I think I think they could definitely have a chance to get in. But they got a lot of work to do on offense before they can think about winning out. There's yeah, still some I good d- teams. I look at the Big Twelve; it just looks so weak. Yeah, yeah, and but back to the Big Ten for a second. I think that especially now with Michigan winning and getting a little confidence. Michigan State's played well at the beginning of the year so far. Um, they they play Miami this week, right, Ty? Mm-hmm. They do. They play Miami. Yeah, they do. Is it at home or at Miami? I think it's at Miami. Yeah, I just I, I think the Big Ten could end up in, in almost looking like one of the best conferences coming into this year with Iowa being a solid team, Michigan State being a solid team. We'll see how this Auburn-Penn State game turns out if Penn State manages to win that one. At home on game day, that only adds to the Big, Big Ten's kind of presence this year. Um, so I don't know. I'm interested to see how the Big Ten turns out, and I don't think it's necessarily Ohio State or bust for them this year. But the Big 12, I still feel like it's Oklahoma or bust, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I completely agree. I just don't think Iowa State uh, – I just don't think they have the depth – all the way around as a complete team to make the playoffs, especially still being only four teams, possibly eight-team playoff with how weak the Big 12 is. But I, I like Oklahoma to be the conference champion, and we'll see if they can run the table going forward. So Oklahoma's rest of their year looks like uh, they have Nebraska at home, West Virginia at home, Kansas State on the road. Texas on the road, which the Red River rivalry can always get interesting, um, especially when it's down in Austin. So that's an interesting one for sure. TCU, Kansas, Texas Tech, Baylor, and then Iowa State 
followed by Oklahoma State to close out the year. So in that stretch, they only play one more ranked team, and that's Iowa State come November 20th. And who knows? I mean, the Cyclones could even be unranked at that point. So I'm not sure what the outcome looks like in the Big Big 12 just because it seems like the past couple of years Oklahoma's dropped those games and got put themselves out of it a little earlier in the season, and uh, the Big 12 kind of becomes a toss-up. And so I'm not sure what to think about this year yet. I think yeah. it all comes down to Rattler. Mm-hmm. Whether he can be the guy that Oklahoma always needs, which is a Heisman guy, if they want to make the playoffs. Yeah, and Rattler this week, 20 for 26, uh, 243 and five touchdowns. So he's That's, had two yeah. really, really good weeks as far as uh, completions and attempt goes. He's been a lot more accurate. It's just about the decision-making. I know we yeah. highlighted it last week. There's no need to be redundant. All it takes is one game that he makes three bad decisions and their season's over. Yep. And, and um, but we know the talent's there, so it's exciting to see. Let's go to another team in the Big 12 now that we're kind of on them, and let's go to Texas losing to Arkansas this week. What did you guys see from the Longhorns? Same story. Just comes in with a lot of hype and gets let down in a game like this. I feel like it's the same thing every year with Texas. So you're yeah. indeed claiming that Texas is not back, Jared. No, they're frauds. No, they're <laughs> definitely not back. Yeah, I mean, whenever you get run, run on for like 300 yards, you're probably going to lose. <laughs> um, but it is interesting. I'm pretty sure they named Casey Thompson the starter now. They did. Over Hudson Card. So we'll see if that changes their defensive line. <laughs> but if they're if they're getting run on like that, especially with how offenses tend to score in the Big Twelve, I don't see them. Uh, I don't see them competing for a for a top spot in the conference. Um, and you know, I saw a lot of people on Twitter and on Instagram making comments about like, "Oh, Texas, like, welcome to the SEC. This is what it's like." But I think that people aren't giving Arkansas enough credit here. Arkansas is a good football team. Like, this isn't. Yeah. They're not your run of the mill. SEC team this year as they've been maybe the past couple of years or past five years, probably um, they've been, they've been above average this year. They kind of turned that corner last year and seemed like they had the right system in place and program in place. And this year they kind of seem to have the product on the field. That's, you know, looks like they can at least compete and, uh, and put, and put pressure on some of the top teams in the SEC West. Yeah. Okay. They they beat Rice by 21, and they beat Texas by 19. So if that tells you something about Texas, I don't know. <laughs> because Rice is not winning any championships anytime soon. No. <laughs> so, but yeah. from what I see from Arkansas, it looks like they're just like run the ball, run the ball, run the ball all day. And I feel like getting into the SEC – Mm-hmm. That ain't going to fly. And I, don't I think... feel like they get exposed fast. Like they play a Georgia or us or anyone that has defensive line talent. And it's like goes really badly for them. Yeah. KJ Jefferson is definitely not a superstar, but he, uh, he was 14 for 19, 138 in the interception. But the real story for them was on the run, uh, on the, uh, on the ground. He had 10 carries for 73, along with their running back, Trelon Smith, who had 12 for 75 and a touchdown. Um, and they had another guy with seven for 67. So, I mean, they had a lot of different guys. They doing it out seven the yards per carry yeah. as a team. Listen to this stretch here that they have to go through. They played Georgia Southern this week, and then next week, Texas A&M, 
at home, and then they go to Georgia, and then to Ole Miss, and then Auburn at home. So I mean, that is that's, a that's the top five teams in the SEC. Dude, they play. Uh, we'll see how they fare teams. against those. Yeah, in Bama. I'm glad for their sake that Texas A&M is down a quarterback right now because mm-hmm. that makes that stretch a little bit easier. Um, just starting it out on the right foot. Uh, what are you guys thinking about the Giga Maggies as Colorado gave them a run for their money and kind of had some people t- changing the channel on Saturday whenever they saw that, that game was a lot closer than people thought it was going to be. Yeah, I mean, I think Texas A&M's defense is still very good. I mean, they only allowed seven points. But, I mean, scoring 10 on a Colorado team, that's just not going to cut it. They couldn't really move the ball. Zach Calzada didn't really seem like he could make some make big-time throws like down the field every time he tried to get it past the sticks. It was coming up short on him. But that also may have been lack of practice and lack of preparation for he, he was thinking he was the backup. So maybe being getting starter reps for the next couple of weeks, he'll get in a little bit of a rhythm. But I think that's a big blow. I think Haynes King was kind of uh, – or from Texas A&M fans' perspective, was kind of their guy this year. So we'll see We'll see what they, uh, what they put on the field against Arkansas. I feel bad for A&M to an extent because it's been – they've been the hype train for three years now where people have said they're going to be really good. They're going to be really good. They're going to be really good every single year. And then it's one thing or another, you know, whether they haven't been as great as people think, whether they've lacked, you know, good quarterback play. There's, there was a couple of years in there where Kellen Mond didn't take the steps that they needed him to. Mm-hmm. And then coming into this year, it kind of seemed like we knew what they were going to have, which was a really solid defense. And then he was a young guy, but a really dynamic quarterback and Haynes King. And, then that gets all thrown, you know, down the trash because the injury and Zach Calzada comes in and is 18 for 38. And I think that was worth saying, Ty, that 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 could be just lack of preparation, but this is going to be a really important week for him to go in and get his feet wet versus a, I would imagine, below average New Mexico team at home um, and go out and get a good half to three quarters of play in to mm-hmm. throw the ball downfield and build some confidence before you have Arkansas in Fayetteville because Fayetteville, even as an Auburn fan, makes me a little scared. That place gets rocking. It's a pretty it's a pretty tough place to play, and I think that they showed it this week against Texas. For sure. You get any SEC team a little bit of hope and a little bit of excitement, you know, you beat Texas and you're rushing the field, you know, tearing the goalpost down. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big win for Arkansas, but I don't know if it's that big. Yeah, I don't know about <laughs> I don't know about the rushing the field. If um, I think that as Auburn fans, we can't talk too much trash because we we rushed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ours are worth it though. Yeah, but ours were against like number one teams in the nation, but we've gotten in this really bad habit where every time we just beat Alabama, we just rush the field. <laughs> Fuck yeah! So um, yeah, cheaters. Maybe- Maybe Arkansas. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Maybe Arkansas. Maybe Arkansas is just uh, taking a page out of our book, and now every time they play Texas and beat them, they're just going to rush the field. But Texas yeah. joining the SEC. Got to get used to. It. They're joining the joining the league. I mean, but if you're Steve Sarkeesian, this is just. A, I mean, obviously, this is not the foot you know step you wanted to take coming into this year. But do you still believe in kind of his ability to turn that program around? Yeah, I mean, I think. 
especially with them now moving into the SEC, he's going to be able to get just, I mean, obviously Texas is going to be able to recruit no matter what. But he'll still be able to get guys, and it'll take some time. But, I mean, I don't know, man. It's tough going from Bama where you got all these weapons and he's just throwing shit out there and it's working. And now you're now you got some lower tier talent and you're getting blown out by Arkansas. So I mean we'll see what happens. I I just I'm not sure. I'm not sure about uh Sarkeesian. I'm worried that their move to the SEC will be detrimental like to recruiting. Cause in the Big Twelve they're like, hey, there's Oklahoma, there's Iowa State every once in a while, but if you come here, we're like the best or second best in the league. But or second best. So like we can compete for a Big Twelve championship. All we gotta do is beat Oklahoma once, which they did when they had Dicker the kicker and all that. So <laughs> um but coming to the SEC, it's like you can't really you have nothing you can say over any of the top three teams in the league. Yeah, there's no like, trump card. No, yeah. there's no like, oh, we got a chance to beat Bama and Georgia. Yeah, maybe like once every chance. twenty years, but <laughs> You ain't doing that like every couple years. You know? Yeah, I mean, you have as good of a chance as Lane Kiffin or Mike Leach, uh, you know. Exactly. So that – and you see those guys recruit, but it, it's still at a different level than it is at Alabama. Um, so what, what tier do you guys think they'll be in? You think you'll, they'll be top tier, middle tier with us? Or uh, I think they'll be middle tier just because it's Texas and such a big name. I mean, I don't see them going down to where like – Stupid to Vandy, Kentucky, Mizzou level. But it's also like I think we're almost a, a little bit of a tier above them, like breaking into four tiers, okay. making yeah. like a tier three. Or, I mean, obviously they can compete, you know, like you were saying, once every 10, 15 years. But, I mean, I feel like Auburn at least three times a decade is trying to get in the SEC championship, if not making it. So. Yeah, I think that I mean, if you t- if you t- toss out this past decade, and you look at, uh, or not even this past decade, but if, if you if you toss out the more recent years for LSU before the national championship game, like Auburn, LSU, and I don't know if I put Florida in that group because it's been a long time since Florida really, really, really competed Contended. for SEC ch- championship like they did a couple years ago with Trask. Uh, whenever he took over, like the year that they beat us in the in the swamp, uh-huh. um, whenever Trask took over initially, had them winning that ICC championship game. Exactly, no. and that's what I mean. It's Which like is really like going in and contending competing. is like you go into that game as a five point dog. You yeah, know? yeah. And I think like that's fourteen think that, or whatever it was. And I think that's about what I project Texas to be is like I and I'm not sure how the SEC is going to shake up this. Uh, the conference alignment. Not sure what division they'll be playing in, a group of teams they'll be playing in. I, if there's stuff, if there's information out on that now already, I haven't read it, so I'm not going to comment on that. But I think that Texas could be a team that has a few good years where they're one of the top teams in the SEC. I don't know how soon they'll be competing for a national championship or an SEC title. Like that's a different tier. That's a Georgia Alabama tier, legitimately. Oh, those two teams. Um, and then yeah, yeah and even Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, and you're adding I would, Oklahoma. I would probably throw Oklahoma in there. They're as well. right on. Mm-hmm. They're right in between that A and M and like Georgia. Yeah, yeah. It's like 
weird. Like I would probably put them tier one, but with their defense in the SEC, maybe a tier two if they can't handle yeah. teams. And I would probably even put them above A and M because I think A and M falls into that. They're in the same tier as Auburn and LSU, but in a mm-hmm. different way because Auburn and LSU, it's like every few years we we beat Alabama. Out, we outreach what we compete for a national title. Yeah, and for yeah. A and M, it's like every year they're supposed to compete for a national champion, and then they yeah. get their ass kicked. And then they don't, and so Alabama, and it's like uh, so yeah. yeah, and so I, I think, but I think that like the expectation level is really where it all resonates, and like yeah. right now for Auburn, LSU. And then, like, even they still, Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia, like, all those teams expect to at least come close to competing for a national championship. If not, competing for a national championship. I don't think Texas fans are there yet. I think Texas fans just want to be at the top of their league. It's been a long time. I think Texas is around that, like, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. They're just Arkansas. Yeah. Arkansas, Mississippi State. Because Mississippi State competes every, like, five or six years for Uh for the West. Same like Ole Miss. They had Prescott, Ole Miss, same way. Like they'll compete. And I think uh Texas will compete, but I don't think it's a team that can say, hey, we our goal is to win a national championship this year. Their goal should be let's be top three in whatever division we're in in the SEC. Yeah. Uh any other big games you guys want to hit on before we talk a little bit about the USC? Uh, coaching job along with the Auburn Penn State preview. Anything else from this weekend that you guys? Want to um, I just wanted to talk real quick. I mean, this could probably talk later date depending on games, but we'll see. Uh, I'm not feeling too good about LSU, man. I, I think Orgeron is is a little bit on the hot seat, but I mean, we can we can uh, we can quickly talk about that. No, yeah, I, I mean, I've said it from the jump that. Yeah, I said it after they won the national championship two years ago that um, I, I think they had a great year. I still wasn't convinced that he was going to be the guy for the future, X's and O's wise. Like, I don't think that he has the creativity in what he does, uh, what he schemes up as a team to like take him to that next level. I think that he has to have really skilled personnel around him, whether that's players yeah. or coaching staff. And the one year they won the national championship, obviously they had Joe Brady and then just an absolute abundance of talent throughout the whole roster. Um, yeah. I've compared him to Gene Chizik on this show, and that is not a slight on him or Gene. It's just a matter of fact that it's hard to be consistent in this league. And, uh, I mean, Coach O, unlike Gene, Coach O before his has shown us his true colors. We're about to talk about the USC job. Like, he had that mm-hmm. job. He had a job at Ole Miss. Like he's, we've seen this before from him. It's just not anything new that he's bringing out of the playbook or uh, drawing up on the on the whiteboard. Um, so I think for him, it's about being a motivator and being a recruiter. And when you lose those two things, you're losing the program. And yeah, that's those descriptions the sound a lot like Gene Chizik. Yeah, and I was gonna motivator say and recruiter. Uh, yeah, not. Not an X's and O's guy, and you got to have all three if you want to make make moves consistently. In, well, the in the other thing that's common of them, and I think it's common just in college football in general, and I mean, you could possibly say in the pros nowadays too, with how much the scoring's increased. But like, it's just hard taking over a program as a defensive head based head coach. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I know Nick Saban is like the one guy you can look at or one big guy you can look at and be like, he's a defensive minded guy. He took over this program. But like, look at Nick Saban's teams now. Like they're really offensively creative. They're scoring a lot of points. Like Gene and Coach O were both defensive minded guys who came into these programs. And I think it's just hard whenever like there's so much offensive creativity around the league these days. And a lot of teams that are scoring a lot of points. Um, and it's hard to put up with that and really have the right guys in place on your staff to kind of deal with that when it's not, when you're not taking that uh, responsibility in on your own as the head coach. Yeah. And so, I mean, LSU fans, I can probably say are kind of like Auburn fans. They have a lot of high expectations and they had a pretty bad year last year. And I think Orgeron the entire offseason was saying that, you know, the running defense, the run D was going to be fixed. The running game on offense was going to be fixed. And when you come in and it's kind of like, oh, you put duct tape over the cracks <laughs> and all the water's coming right back out, it kind of pisses a lot of people off. And especially if you get into the SEC schedule and start get getting blown out and getting embarrassed by decent not even great teams. That's that's when you get gone pretty quickly. I'm eyeing I'm eyeing this Mississippi State game <laughs> on the road. Oof. At eleven. That would be bad. Ah, uh, that's scary. You know what last year, they LSU, got thrown on for about five hundred yards. State's actually favored in that game. Wow. Right now, you know, if uh, going back to my talking point about offensive minded head coaches, like. I know that one has had a lot more stable success, but one, but Coach O has also won a national championship, and this coach is not as a head coach. But I would feel a lot better if I had if I were an LSU fan, like if they had Dan Mullen at the helm right now, I'd feel fine about where I was, like because yep. I know that Dan Mullen offensively can get the best best out of his teams. I'm just not sure about Coach O. Even Lane Kiffin, yeah, even even Kiffin. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see if that job comes up because if that job comes that's up, that's a big time job. Man. It's a big time job along with the job we're about to talk about, which is the USC job. Um, so Southern California, obviously one of the premier programs in college football, fires their coach two games into the season. Clay Helton is uh, is gone as the head coach for USC and. At this point, I'm not sure where this program goes. It's been a coaching carousel. It literally the definition of one. Um, they beat uh, San Jose State to open the season, uh, thirty to seven, and then they get just plowed by Stanford, forty-two to twenty-eight. Do you guys have mm-hmm. any diagnosis for this problem for Southern California? Do you know where to go from here? If you're sitting in the boardroom looking at coaches, like who are you looking at? What what are the uh, uh, you know what are the problems you're trying to address by uh by bringing somebody in yeah um i don't know too much about you know like pac-12 football and what they might and enough about their roster in general to know what they need to address as far as recruiting goes but the guy that i think that would that's been looking for a job for a while and i think would fit him well is eric Bieniemy from the chiefs the offensive coordinator I think he's been talking to them, and that could kind of shake up college and NFL if the Chiefs know. I mean, obviously you have Andy Reid, but I think he's been there for the entire time that Mahomes has 
been in the league. So that could kind of shift the Chiefs a little bit as well as obviously USC getting a well-known guy, NFL guy that's been running the Chiefs offense for three or four years. And, I mean, I think you could definitely get some talent in there if you get a, if a guy like Biennemi. I think it comes down to what you just said, and if that pushes them to recruit better than your Oregons and UCLAs, because those are the two teams poaching everything. And obviously after we saw what Oregon did this weekend, they're legit. So yeah, it's really about getting that extra spark in the building for USC. They haven't had a spark since Matt Leinard and Reggie Bush. It's like, you got to get something in the building, get a coach, get like an Ed Orgeron. Yeah. Maybe it's not like, the best coach ever, but it's somebody who brings a spark. Like, mm-hmm. and really, because the recruiting is the biggest thing. USC is a great big program. Like, it's not Arkansas or something. Like, I don't know. So, if they can get somebody in the building that can make those moves, they could skyrocket quick. I feel like. Hey, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that this is almost. Uh, it, it's it's worse than any big well. It might not be worse. It's not worse than Nebraska's decline, but it's. What about Texas? It's I feel it's, like it's similar to Texas. It's about the same. No, I, I feel like it's a little bit better than Texas, or a little bit worse than Texas, yeah. just because. Because of, Texas went to the championship pretty recently, and they've I been mean, contending a few times. So they have they have Slovis right now as their quarterback, but I can at least tell you a couple of Texas quarterbacks from the past year. I can't tell you anybody who played for USC since Matt Barkley at quarterback. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's Juju true. Smith-Schuster. Yeah, I'm saying yeah, at quarterback. Yeah. Like I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can't either. And it's just sad yeah. because these guys used to be at the pinnacle of, of college football. Um, and it's also sad because I like both of y'all suggestions. Like Ty, I like I like your idea of bringing in uh, enemy and bringing an NFL-minded guy who who is obviously offensively creative, which is what you need in college football. But we've almost seen that with Sarkeesian and they brought him in and it didn't work. And then yeah. now he's at Texas and it makes you question, well, was it Sarkeesian's issues or were it, was it USC's issues? And then Jarrett, I like what you said about bringing in the spark and having a little bit more life around that program. You had Lane Kiffin at one point. What more life yeah. and spark can you have? No, so like no, I just see guys, I don't, know where to go if you're usc because it seems like they've almost run out of options they did i just the don't think they care about football they anymore. did the interim agree, solution to be honest with you and they then when ucla got chip kelly they're like we care about football and they've stuck with him and done a lot of things to help him and recruiting is obviously done well yeah i don't know it's like usc is just kind of like they've written it off i've heard their, yeah. their games are terrible student section is awful doesn't show out. Nobody cares. Leaves at halftime, even in big games. It's like the spark is not there. And I don't, I don't know how Lane Kiffin didn't bring that, but I just don't think it's there anymore. Booster yeah. activity and everything. So, and that was an early job for Kiffin. He was still a really young guy, but um, but that still brought the energy that you know we're mm-hmm. ta- talking about here. And you know, I think you hit the nail on the head, Jared. Like. I don't see the energy around that program being the same anymore. And that's whenever you, you know, whenever, whenever the place or atmosphere around a program changes away from football, it's really hard to get that back. And 
that's what's happened with Nebraska for sure. Like Nebraska mm-hmm. used to be a pinnacle, and like now, nobody, no recruit in their right mind would be like, I yeah. really want to go play in Nebraska. Like it's just not a football place. And yeah. that well, same USC's thing happened. kind of the same way. That's why I'm surprised UCLA gets so much because mm-hmm. no like good college or high school players like, yeah, I'm gonna go to LA to a non-college town where nobody really comes to our games and play. Like, mm-hmm. that's why the SEC is so different because, like, you come down here and you know you're going to get a packed house for majority of the SEC teams, at and, least uh, six or seven. And if, we, if we're transitioning away from that this talk, like, I'm not sure who, who I would suggest for USC to hire. And I don't think it's – I don't think I have the information on their team nor the – idea of who the shortlist of candidates would be to identify the right option but another program that we're seeing go down this route of losing some of their intangibles and life around their football program is florida state and i mean last year seemed like things got back to a little bit better point and then playing a competitive game versus notre dame things look good and and then it all gets uh, washed away by the wave that was Jacksonville State this weekend in Tallahassee. Wow. I think this is the opposite of USC, and I think this is more of a Tennessee situation where the fans are still really into it and they have the spark in the program, but the coaching hires are just total, good. total misses, like over and over and over. And then eventually it's like, your luck has turned so much that it feels like you can't get out of the hole anymore. See, I and I don't disagree with you there, Jared, about the, the fans being behind the program. I definitely agree with that. But I think Mike Mike Norvell is a good coach. Like I really do. And he probably just needs time. And yeah, I think it's a get time everything thing. installed and everything. And like this was the trap you didn't want to fall into if you're him. Like this was a complete blind side. I mean, with I don't know how many seconds on the clock. I just saw the replay again on the television in front of me. Like it was, it was ending. a coaching disaster. It was to, to lose on a play like that. To lose on a play like that deflates really your season because yep, we talked last week about them being better, and and now you sit here and you're like, well, clearly they're not, and it's that quick that the the dime can just flip on its head. Um, so I'm not sure what to think about Florida State, but I think that this season's not going to have the momentum behind it that we thought it would necessarily after the first game. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you, Jared. Like, seems like they're just kind of scrambling and kind of grasping at straws for different guys. It's kind of like they're still in panic mode from when Jimbo just up and left them. I mean, they they went to the pl- – or won the championship – Went to the playoff. You're still competing, hanging in there with Clemson, and then he just up and leaves, and they have never been the same since then. I mean, it's just gone downhill. And, I mean, the coaching on the last play of the game was terrible, but you also can't even be in that situation when you're playing Jacksonville State. You can't give them hope because that's how you lose. I mean, you can't give a team like Jacksonville State a chance. And – that may also ah, – man, I don't know. They, they got a long way to go. That's all I got to say. Well, 
that is depressing to talk about almost, <laughs> you know, those two, those two things back to back, the USC program and the Florida state program talking about those things back to back. It's almost a borderline depressing <laughs> yeah. survival. But, of the fittest, bro. But That's what it is the non depressing medicine that we need is Auburn, Penn state, Saturday night, yeah, college game, college game day. What more could you ask for for this game that we're just talking about? Unfortunately, Jacksonville State being a negative turning point for Florida State season. I think you could argue for both of these teams coming into this game. This is a positive turning point for whoever wins this game. Really, really is a catapult, a catalyst for them to go forward and yep. and really have a strong season. Because if Auburn wins this game. LSU on the road who has not looked sharp, and then you have a chance to go into UGA 5-0 at home, and Auburn's known to give them problems uh, whenever they play them and they're on a hot streak in Jordan-Hare. That's a time that nobody wants to play Auburn, much less a rivalry mm-hmm. game in, uh, in UGA. So, guys, what are your predictions for the weekend? Uh, Penn State follows this week with uh, games against Villanova at home, Indiana at home. And in Iowa, Iowa on the road. So it's again, kind of the same situation. Kind of the same situation. They play Illinois, yeah. then they have Ohio State on the road. So a lot of big games lying ahead for the Nittany Lions, along with the Tigers. And this this game is pivotal, pivotal to see who's going to kind of go forward, uh, the stronger opponent and the stronger uh, push for the to make the playoff as a dark horse. Yeah, man. I mean, this is what you're looking for when you try and find a non-conference matchup that's just ideal when you're not obviously Georgia Clemson that, those are their top dogs but this is about as good as it gets for mid-tier high little mid-high tier team looking for a spark to try and get into the playoff both for their first time Auburn and Penn State and man I, I'm I'm worried as an Auburn fan that I'm going to be let down because I'm so optimistic new coach we're looking so good. Back-to-back 60-point games for the first time since 1932. And uh, I just I just think that Penn State doesn't doesn't uh I don't think it was smart for them to call out Auburn in their last game. I think that was probably the worst thing they could have done. And I don't think uh Mr. Franklin's real happy about their their fans doing that because all that is is uh giving us bulletin board material. Fuel. And Bo Nix already has the biggest chip on his shoulder that you can have. Nobody thinks he's worth a shit. So we will see what we got. I think we're going to unleash Bigsby for the first time with a good game plan in his career. We're going to come in and kind of ride his back, and we'll see. We'll see what happens, man. I'm excited. I think uh, that (laughs) what you said about giving him bulletin board material and giving a chip on shoulder for – Bo, I don't think that people realize the dogs that Auburn has. The yeah. the real dog being one of them, dude. Bo being one of them, but defensively on that side of the ball, you want to talk about giving some guys bulletin board material. You don't want to give Zacoby bulletin board material. You don't want to give oh, Owen Papo bulletin board material. Chandler Wooten, McCreary, McCreary. I mean, those guys are stacked on the defensive side of the ball, and that, and a Derek Mason who knows how to get the best out of his guys, that's yep. an intimidating. Let me, 
to give Let motivation. Let me say this, though. The defense is great, and we've had great defenses, honestly, five of the last seven years, basically. So I'm confident in that. I think that'll do fine. But we've also had some big losses on the road with great defenses. So that's where at I worry. Florida, at LSU. At Florida, at LSU. I mean, the at West Georgia, Georgia. Basically at them. Oregon. Got lucky on the last play. <laughs> um, that wasn't really at Oregon, neutral site. But what I was saying was offensively, I think the difference this year from what I've seen so far, and I know the teams we played, and I know the talent level is not there, but our offensive line, I think, is, is what's made the steps to make us a great team. And I think that actually last week, I know people weren't excited, and it's hard to get excited when you're only winning, what was it, 20 to nothing first half against yeah. Alabama State. But I think that it was more vindictive of what you're going to see this week, which is a healthy diet of Tank Bigsby and solid defensive play. And yeah. I and think the, the tie... offensive line and defensive line hold up the way that they have the first two games with like not just holding up the first two games, they played literally impeccable. Like, and I, they, no one could run on us and no one could stop our run in both games. And it's like, yeah, they sucked, but eventually they're going to stop a little bit of it. And it just wasn't the case. So I think if we can kind of play with that confidence and not let it rattle us that the environment's the way it is, which is easier said than done. But if we can do that, we come away victorious and i like what she said ty about unleashing tank because like tanks almost been a given this year yeah so far like we've just been like here we're gonna hand you the ball x amount of times this these two games and like just do your thing but it's not been a game plan that's like let me force him down your throat and this is gonna be that game where we're not running like we did with carry on johnson 30 times a game against alabama state no yeah taking his legs out um. Well, I have two points about Harris. First, the first half of the Alabama State game, as an Auburn fan, I think was the perfect recipe going into this week because you had lack of focus, you had penalties, you had drops, you had a fumble late in the first half, and it's like you had to you you don't want to have two weeks of just perfect. And then you go into this game, like y'all are saying, and have some adversity and you just fold. So it's like we – I mean, not saying we had adversity against a good team. But I think we did. it kind of gave us – it gave us a little bit of a coaching moment and be like, hey, guys, y'all really aren't like – I mean, this shit – y'all aren't shit. Y'all have yeah. to play still to yeah. win a game. And I like the word you used, Ty, a coaching moment, because I yeah. think that it was Brian Harson's first job Besides getting your guys up to play opening day, mm-hmm. it was his first job of coaching, actually coaching these guys in the game to go and into it all happened time, again on Saturday. Some adjustments to, to go into halftime, not just make adjustments, but I mean, I I wasn't in the locker room, but I could I would put a bet down that I know what he said, which is this second half determines how you're going to go into next week, and you can either go in sluggish and making errors like you go like you're going at this rate. Or you can flip a fucking switch and you can be the better team on the field and rely on your talent. And that Here's, is what we should be doing. And we came out and it was just the focus was just cranked up. And that's, that's a great job of coaching. And I'd be willing to bet that's exactly what came out of his mouth in the locker room at halftime. 
I agree, Harris. And here's my thought that I had actually today while I was working. Um, I think Harson has that mentality of like, no matter who's in the game, no matter like whatever, you go hard every play. I don't care who we're playing. You play like it's, you know, I think he has that. Whereas I think Gus was more like, oh, let's like, let's, let's win. But he wouldn't, you don't say that. It's more He's of scared a, to lose. Scared to lose. To exactly. It's like, let's make the five yard out and just get out of bounds. And then we'll be second and five. It's like, no, you make that five yard out and you turn it up field if you can. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's just, it's that mentality of like, Go hard, no matter what, and keep playing hard the rest of the game. Don't ease up. Whereas yeah, yeah. that's why we'd only win by 20 against Mercer and Jacksonville State and whoever, because it was like, oh, ease up. I don't want to get hurt. It's like, no, like go hard no matter what. If you're in the game, you go hard. It's almost like a thing that's like in those games, you think that just doing the bare minimum can get you through winning. Like, hey, let me just check the boxes. Like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm 9 of 10 in the first quarter, and I've – you know, completed almost all my passes. And it's like, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, that that yeah. could tell me nothing about how the rest of the game turns out. Those could all be bubble screens, which they typically were. Yeah. You know? But, I mean, versus now it's like, hey, you know what you do? You fucking beat their ass. That's it. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter. Don't I don't care if it takes – I don't care if you are, are 30 for 90 throwing I, the ball. Until or, I take you out of the game, you complete every pass, no mercy. Yeah, like because I'll take you out once I want to show mercy. Yeah, yeah. you don't and show mercy when you're in the game. That's right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's transition away from some college football and talk about NFL because there's a lot of juicy stuff to get into with that. It was a fantastic week of pro football. A lot of really big games and a lot of big games that people um, tuned in for. And I think they were surprised at what they saw on the field from uh, certain teams out there. So I'm going to hand it over to Todd. He's going to run us through all the NFL games. Uh and we're going to talk – or not all of them, but we're going to talk about some of the big ones uh, and talk about some of the previews for next week as well. All right, man. So, first, we're going to start out with the big Thursday night football matchup that we had with Dallas and uh, Tampa Bay. And I got two storylines for that. I'm going to say business is booming. AB is back in town. He's rolling. And also, Dak is back. He had a great game. And I think I think Harris's prediction of Cowboys being an underrated team is going to be right on point. I think their defense looked a little. I mean, obviously it's it's tough to stop Tampa Bay, but their defense looked a little bit better, and their offense looked very very good with their receiving core, especially C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper, just unstoppable. Thai business is booming, and you said it. Better than I ever could have heard. And this game almost feels like it was two weeks ago for some reason because yeah. there was just so much football to digest this week. And I almost forgot about this until you just said those words. Antonio Brown is back. I'm telling you right now, if you remember anything from this podcast this week, this guy, when he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, was considered by me and by a lot of people in this league the best wide receiver in football. Not one of the best, not the best, the best. Better than Tyreek Hill, better than Julio Jones, better than all these guys. He was Didn't he the have best. Like five straight 150 catch years or something insane like that. Something like that. He was a beast. And it's not like we've seen him just like disintegrate in a way that's typical of some athletes. Like we've seen him 
bounce around from team to team. And, but he hasn't been playing football, which you know what this tells me? It's not that bad on his body. And I think that means a lot. Like when you're away from the game, it, people handle it differently. And AB, you can say what you want about him as a guy and as a character and how he's been off the field. But I'm telling you right now, last year he was part of that offense, but still wasn't really plugged into it. And they got him in there this year. I'm telling you right now, don't be surprised if he's a top five wide receiver in football by the end of this year because the dude has the skills. We know that. And I think that it it took this game for people to realize that he's back. And it, this offseason for him and Tom Brady to get on the same page. And you said it, Ty, business is booming. This dude's going to be a dog all year. So two things to say about Antonio Brown. One, he was the first player to have back-to-back 125-plus catch seasons ever in the NFL. Two, what you were just saying about him and Brady. So it was a really heartfelt thing on, on the coverage. I don't know if y'all saw it, but basically Brady was the only person that was like, yeah, let's bring him into New England initially after all this crap went down with his girlfriend and all that and I don't know, whatever else. And he was basically a psycho. Freezing his feet off. Yeah, and then uh, oh, God, he, I forgot about that. He went to New England, <laughs> and Brady was the guy that was like, "I got your back, like I'm here for you." And then Antonio Brown is basically like he told the commentators, "Yeah, that's my best friend. Like he's gotten me through everything. He's always had my back." So it's kind of like it's really paying off now. That connection that they have is like it's insane, and I think it's better than any of the other receivers, even though the other two are amazing. I mean, the other two look great. His connection with the Gronk looked great. But yeah, that's what I was going to say. AB <clears throat> is just – it's different. He, and Gronk's different. the same story. They're best friends. They've been yeah. friends for 10 years. So right. it's just like in the backyard. And that's the thing with the Bucks, man. If you get Antonio Brown, regardless of even if Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are on the field, if you get Antonio Brown and Gronk working with Brady, man, that's hard to beat. I mean, that's literally like – Tyreek Hill and, and Kelsey with Mahomes. It's the same little three-headed monster. Because Brady and Gronk, I mean, I'm sure y'all saw they have the most, like, most postseason touchdowns, and I think that was their 100th touchdown against the Cowboys yeah, on has, the second one. Gronk has two touchdowns that weren't thrown from Tom Brady. I mean, it's crazy, dude. It's they crazy. are just perfect. I mean, they're in sync almost every time he goes to them. It's crazy. All right, on to the next game. We got Dolphins at Patriots. Uh, my takeaways were I thought Mac Jones played really well. I was really impressed with his poise and decision-making. Um, I feel like the Dolphins' offense still needs a piece to really get over the hump of being a real competitor. But I like their defense a lot. And I think the turnovers and penalties, which is something that you see rarely from the Patriots, I think those two things really cost him late. Obviously, the fumble in the red zone really hurt. But I like where both teams are at right now. I think both of these teams can be competitive for the playoffs, and I thought that was a really, really good game for week one. Yeah, I think that week one for both teams um, was kind of a success because you're Miami. You obviously want to come to this game and, and beat a really good Patriots uh, defense, not just because of the personnel they have on the ball, I mean, Stephon Gilmore was out in this game, wasn't he, Ty? Yeah, he, he was. out for this game, so 
maybe not the the typical defense or maybe the defense you'll say see later on in the um, season, but it is still a win against a Bill Belichick defense. And if you are a Dolphins fan, you're looking for that step forward from Tua. I mean, he he did look good much of this game. It's and I I know I touched on this earlier in the um, podcast, but we'll talk a little bit more about these same type of situations later on with different games because there's a lot of them, but. He just made one really, really bad decision, which was uh, trying to make a play when there wasn't one. I don't think it was a misread or a, a bad throw necessarily. Um, it was just a really tough play to make, and you got to learn as you go to throw that ball away. And he's still a young quarterback, so uh, I, I didn't think that it was um, too too much of a surprise on either side. Uh, I, I kind of thought it was what I thought it was going to be, which is a defensive battle and uh, two good head coaches. I think Brian Flores has proven game in and game out that he's going to be a really good coach in this league, and if they can get some more dynamic playmakers on offense, uh, the, the Dolphins can compete for a playoff spot. For sure. I think they uh, I think they have a lot of those players. I just think they're still really young. I think Gaskin could be really solid. He's basically what you want in a running back. You know, catch out of the backfield, averaging five yards a carry this week, and then you got Devontae Parker and Waddle who are both up-and-comers in the league, who I think could be, especially Waddle, could think would be a star. And then obviously two at quarterback. Yeah, yeah Waddle, Waddle looked really good. Um, and if you're a Dolphins fan, a lot to kind of be hopeful for. But I think Ty's right. It's still, well, still a little bit of the offensive line problems. I think the ability to get in the run game going was uh, not really there. So you got to be able to I think run game. And they kind of just ran away from it because Gaskin was nine for 49. I don't know why they wouldn't try that more. It. Yeah, it seems like, especially in a low-scoring game like that, they didn't need to pass the ball. I think that's kind of on the coaches. You know, the run games, if you're averaging that yards per carry, why not keep it going and see what you can do, especially with Gaskin? Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> um next we got Eagles at Falcons. This was as Owen said the battle of the shit birds bird shit. <laughs> um <laughs> Jalen Hurts kind of lit it up. Matt Ryan really didn't do too much. I think he threw for about 130 yards, no touchdowns, but Devontae Smith got in on some action, had six catches for 70 yards and a touchdown. And uh I think Jalen Hurts is kind of going to step into this role and I think he's he's there he's a good guy for the future but obviously this is just one game against the Falcons but I think I think he's going to take this role seriously and I think the Eagles are in a good spot with him not necessarily for this year but going forward but the Falcons I think they they're probably in just like a rebuild mode right now there wasn't too much to be excited about with that that first game do you guys think that the Eagles could compete for the division or no chance? I think with the Cowboys' struggles on defense and then obviously the Giants, I think, are not a, not a no factor, but they're going to be a bottom-tier team, I think. Yeah, the Redskins – or the football team, excuse me. Canceled. Um, I, I immediately, you know, went back from it. But um, I don't think – the football team has the offensive firepower to be a contender, but I Especially do think Fitzpatrick getting hurt too. Yeah. If the Eagles can have a 
average defense or slightly above average, I think they have a shot to compete for that division. But I do think the Cowboys will ultimately ultimately push through. I think yeah. that I, I agree, Jared. I think that Fitzmagic getting hurt really hurts the um, football team's chances just because it takes away some of the dynamic ability on offense, makes them more of kind of honestly what they were last year, which is shit show on offense uh, with a good running game kind of and a good defensive team. So put some kind of back to that middle tier of the NFL. I think they'll be able to steal a few games in the division. Philly, uh, we'll see. I think this was more of a highlight of how bad Atlanta was, literally on both sides of the ball uh, up front. I mean, their defense was honestly one of the worst defensive performances I can remember in a long time. Uh, so I, I think that's more of a low light for Atlanta than it is a highlight for Philadelphia. But one thing I took away from this game is that there's immediately off the bat that Jalen Hurts uh, and Devonta Smith connection that was really strong and obviously has carried over uh, from their years at Alabama together. And uh, I'm excited to see what those two do. It was a great start of the season for the young rookie, Devonta Smith. Last thing I'll say about this game for uh, another thing to note, even though the Falcons, like you said, played off on defense, Jalen Hurts seven carries for 62 yards. So obviously we've seen other teams, Cardinals, uh, Ravens, have rushing quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think if you can make that happen and not get hurt, it's a huge advantage. Yeah. And I think that there's a difference between somebody who's like relying on the rushing to be Mm -hmm. the main part of their running game versus somebody who is relying on it to make plays their legs, which they definitely can. And on that note, do we want to get into the Cardinals Titans game? Yeah, let's jump to it. Let's do it. All right, man. Uh, Kyler Murray was showing some magic. I think he had about 300 with five total touchdowns. Hopkins was making plays. Obviously, Chandler Jones had, what, five sacks? Something like that. Is that right? Yeah, five sacks. Yeah. And Tennessee's offense, they weren't – they did not live up to the expectation of with all their star players that they had. Maybe it's lack of – experience together or I think more of lack of offensive line help was definitely the issue in this game. So we'll see how the Titans can bounce back. And also just wanted to get y'all's thoughts on the Taylor Lewan tweet. How what y'all thought about him uh tweeting at someone who destroyed him the entire game. As a Titans fan myself, uh he's obviously carried us throughout his whole career, basically, offensive line-wise, just been a leader out there and everything. So him tweeting that I thought was a little bit suspect on, like, showing confidence. But at the same time, being the guy that he is, it's kind of like maybe that's a way to wake up the rest of the team along with himself and be like, hey, we got exposed. And I'm saying I got exposed. So everybody else, if you did, get back to work and let's not let this happen again. So. Yeah, I mean, him being a, an internet celebrity, which is really what he's transformed into now, not just as a football player, but obviously his podcast, Busting with the Boys, is huge. Um, I think that he's willing to kind of be vulnerable towards fans in a unique way, and this was just an example of it. Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of disagree with you, Jared, in the, in the confidence factor. Like, I think he's saying, like, I'm confident to know that I'm a good player and like, I can be better in a way. Yeah. So, the only um, thing I didn't like is he said, I'm going to get better. It's like, no, I don't 
I get that. You want to get better, but I don't think getting better was the reason he gave up five sacks. I think it was just rusty, like hasn't played in a while. Like it's not like mm-hmm. he's not a good enough player to block Chandler Jones. It's just like he, sh- he should have been more like, oh, I couldn't block you, whatever. That isn't going to happen again. Not like I need to get better because he doesn't. It's just like getting that edge back that he had before. Right. And Chandler Jones is a beast, man. Like, I mean, he's the one guy I've said throughout the years that Bill Belichick missed on. Like, Belichick's always great about shipping guys out of town right when they're, right when they're like time is up. And I mean, Tom Brady, you can obviously say he whiffed on that guy too, but that was more of Tom's decision. Chandler Jones was, I mean, he got him out of town. He shipped him out. And um, that's proven to be a mistake on Belichick's part just because Chandler Jones is a superstar. He's been one of the best pass rushers in the league uh, consistently for the Cardinals, and now they've got a little help with J.J. Watt, a little harder to double-team him and get the help needed uh, from offensive linemen. So the Titans, they let me down after my long rant about them being one of the more consistent teams. It's unfortunate to see them start off on the wrong foot, but that division uh, with Tennessee, uh, the Colts, Jacksonville, and Houston is really up for grabs. Early on in the season, I, I still believe in the Titans' abilities to make it work and, and get it done by the end of the season, be uh, the playoff team out of that division. I agree, but I do think it's the worst division in football this year. Yeah, and that's hard to argue. And let's go ahead and hop over to another game in that division and talk about um, Houston and Jacksonville because this is one I think that we just want to skim over, really. It's not worth diving into. It wasn't, you know, a highlight of the – of the uh, weekend, but it was worth talking about considering Trevor Lawrence was playing for the Jaguars. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the Jaguars problems uh, stem far from their quarterback. I mean, their defense looked piss poor. I mean, they could not stop the Texans. I mean, when they give up 37 points to Tyrod Taylor and company, the three headed monster, David Johnson, Philip Lindsay, and, uh, Who's the last one? And Mark Ingram all got a touchdown. Um, Three-headed monster, baby. Yeah, he, Harris called it, man. Um, I was I was going to say, I didn't watch much of this game. I didn't see Lawrence's three interceptions. Were they, like, terrible decisions or what happened? So, I actually didn't watch much of this game either, but I did watch uh, before about an hour before Sunday Night Football. Um, Drew Brees was on, which was great to see him in the booth. Because I think that he has a little bit of that Tony Romo, Peyton Manning ability to break down tape. That's really fun to watch. Um, Hall of Fame quarterbacks kind of do that, and uh, he he broke down at least Lawrence's uh, first interception of the year, um, which was a really a kind of a basic high low read of the zone. Uh, the corner was um, just playing regular cover two zone, and he stuck with the high guy and Lawrence tried to force a throw down the field and he could have checked down. They were backed up on their old, own, own goal line. But again, that is a, uh, that was a bad, clear, bad decision. It wasn't trying to force something when it's not, it, it was trying to force something when it's not there, but that was a misread. And mm-hmm. if you are, um, if you're a Jags fan, a Trevor Lawrence fan, or somebody who's just looking to see him do well this year, like myself, he, um, you know that he has the poise and he's not going to make a lot of those, um, I should say, uh, kind of 
impatient decisions, but it's still NFL football. It's still NFL defenses. If you're going to get used to reading schemes and breaking down things with your eyes and going through your progressions, and that's going to take time. And I think Deshaun Watson had a famous quote his year after, or the year after he had his first like real big year of success with the Texans. And he said, yeah, this is like, I just learned how to read half the field like this year. Mm-hmm. It, it still takes time. Like, and so with Trevor Lawrence, I, I think that it was, you know, he, he flashed a lot of talent. Um, so I didn't see the other two picks at least, but I think those were later in the game. They were trying to force some things down the road. I think Urban Meyer just was not helping him out. They only had 16 carries the whole game, two of those being a wide receiver reverse and the other one a sack, Trevor Lawrence. I think having a rookie quarterback on the road, I know it's Houston, but, like, you got to establish the run and get that guy some confidence, get him some easy throws in the NFL. Because, like you said, those reads are hard to make, and maybe it should have just been let's keep it simple, give him easy reads, and he'll make the plays for us. But I don't think Urban Meyer put him in a position to do that. That's why he had three picks. Yeah, and I completely agree. And it kind of goes back to Harris. Remember, we were talking about how they took ETN with their second first-round pick. It's like, is that really what you need, especially like offensive line help or especially defensive help? I mean, I don't know. And now he's hurt. That's unfortunate, but – I mean, they have more problems than running back. And I think running back with James Robinson was one of their better positions that they have. So uh, I think that was kind of a questionable pick. But we'll see how they move on from here and see if they can improve. Obviously, you kind of have to improve once you get blown out from the Texans. There's not much lower than that. So, (laughs) yeah, amen to that. Um, Moving on to the next rookie quarterback, we go into Zach Wilson's first game as the Jets took on the Panthers in Carolina. Um, welcome to being on the Jets, Zach Wilson. Uh, <laughs> no offensive line. Wasn't really sharp to start the game, but kind of made a push at the end, throwing a couple TDs to Corey Davis, who we hit on last week. Maybe starting to get a little number one receiver vibes from Corey Davis. Um, but Sam Darnold looked good. McCaffrey's back. And Robbie Anderson made a big play down the field, as well as DJ Moore had a couple of big catches. Um, this was a good game, came down to the end, but Carolina pulled it out. Yeah, this game, I was actually really looking forward to this game, just because I just thought it was a good football matchup between two teams that were, I think, going to be, I think that I can safely say now that both these teams are going to be middle of the pack. I mean, you just said it's high, like, or, uh, uh, Zach Wilson, welcome to the Jets. It's like Sam Darnold, welcome to not the Jets. <laughs> yeah. um, and having Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey. And yeah. I tell you what, having this guy. 100 could... yards rushing and 90 yards receiving. Right. I mean, t- 30 touches. Yeah, he, he, 30 he, touches. He, he had 30 touches. He caught the ball nine times out of the backfield. I um, mean, that dude is a juggernaut. And Sam Darnold, I think, like, showed a little bit of what he can do. I saw him make one play, like stepping up in the pocket and throwing the ball downfield for a touchdown to Robbie Anderson. And it was like, this is just seems like he's got more in there. And like Matt Rule, those guys in Carolina wouldn't have, they wouldn't have taken him and moved off Bridgewater if they didn't think that he had some higher level of potential that he yeah. could like 
touch into. And I think that we saw some flashes of it. I mean, I know people used to really give him a hard time at the Jets, but like if you actually look at the film and watch the tape, like the dude had some pretty unbelievable plays, like extending plays with his legs. He's more mobile than people think he is. I'm not saying he's going to be the MVP, but I'm saying this guy's a serviceable quarterback in this league. And if Carolina wasn't playing in the hardest division in football, we just talked about the worst division in football. I mean, they probably had the hardest Tampa Bay. Uh, well, sorry, take that back. They had the Falcons in their division. I forgot about that. Maybe not the hardest division in football, but one of the tougher divisions, at least in the NFC, mm-hmm. then they would be uh, – I think they'd be a factor. But, unfortunately, they got to play Tom Brady twice a year. they got to play the Saints twice a year. Um, but we'll see. I think they have a chance to win some games uh, that people aren't really giving them credit for up front. Defensively, I thought they looked solid too. Six mm-hmm. sacks, 10 QB hits. I know a lot of that had to do with Mackay Becton going out for the Jets, but regardless, having that many sacks and getting pressure on the quarterback will be a good sign when you get get to play in Jameis and Tom Brady in that division. Absolutely. <clears throat> All right, moving on to another big game that I really enjoyed watching was the Steelers at the Bills. This was one that – you know, hair. I predicted this one last week. The Steelers pulled it out. Didn't look – I was not confident with their first-half performance. Their offense looked very stagnant, but their D-line gave Josh Allen fits all night – or all day, rather. And the Steelers kind of found a little bit of some offense in the second half, and they gave us the Bills a big loss in week one, kind of shocking some people. And – but Najee Harris actually didn't have as big of an effect on the game as I thought he would. He kind of struggled. I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on on the Steelers. Yeah, I think that this game really makes you wonder. I, don't, I just – I mean, it, it it almost verified what I thought about the Steelers in a way. Like, I think that you, you said the right thing. I think it was, it was more a knock on the Bills because Steelers were what I thought they were, which is not very good on offense. A lot of questions up front on the O-line. Uh, Big Ben didn't have have it. I mean, he's I, I like yeah. he's one foot out the door already, uh, and even maybe even worse. And I thought they were going to be on offense because Najee Harris wasn't able to make the impact that we maybe thought he was. Um, but defensively, they were as good, if not better. Um, and they just gave Josh Allen the Bills fits, like you said, all day. Uh, block a punt, and this game's completely different after that. Um, Kind of spot on my prediction, just not the big plays that I thought the Bills were going to have in the second half. Just never ended up coming coming their way. And then the, the block punt gives the Steelers the win. Uh, it's just an experienced football team on the defensive side of the ball, and they're going to be like that all year long, I think. see another situation here where you're throwing the ball 51 times with Josh Allen. I don't know. I, I just – I don't see that as a recipe to win against a team like the Steelers with that pass rush in their secondary. It's like they had the run going 11 carries for 72 yards for Singletary. And it's one of those things like you've got to have balance against a good defense like that, or else they're going to tee off and TJ Watt with two sacks obviously tells you about that. That was a consistent thing I saw this week, Jared was like how many people got over 50 or around 50 passing attempts like Justin Herbert through 50 I mean I'm sure I think Prescott threw 60 balls Mm -hmm. I think uh Derek Carr threw 56 last night Tom Brady threw 50 
I mean, it's just like, whoa, coming out guns a blazing, throwing, yeah. throwing 50, 60 passes in the first game. I get it for it's a just team a new like, age football for the team like the Bucks, not the Cowboys because they have a, a run game, but against the Bucks, you're not going to be able to run. So I don't know. Maybe the Bills saw something where they weren't going to be able to run, but Singletary had good numbers, so I don't really understand that. But especially at home, kind of get get the juices flowing out there for those guys. Kirk Cousins throws fifty passes. And you have Dalvin Cook. That one, yeah, that one, a little absurd. Same with the Cowboys. I mean, yeah, the Bucks have the best run defense in the league, though. Well, it's I mean, it's almost like. Pick your poison with some of these teams, though. Like the Bucks are so good stopping the run. Yeah, then no, you have to. You know, they're going to be good. You have to. You almost have to throw it. And the same thing with yeah. the Steelers. And, and as front. soon like, as uh, those have amazing secondary and they have great pass rushers, but you're not. Are you? You're not going to not rely on Josh Allen for the game. Yep. So uh, yeah, but there's relying, and then there's like just totally abandoning the run. Yeah, and that's what the Cowboys did, and. I think they had to do it. but The Cowboys, yeah. they had their back against the wall. They were playing from behind that whole game. We had a brief discussion about that, me, Ty, and Owen, about Zeke and like his outlook for the year. And I said, I think you can almost throw this game out for Zeke because they're playing from behind off the jump. And Oh, yeah, yep. 100%. They didn't even get a second to establish the run. Because um, they did, and they, went, they had a bad three and out or something like that. You know, a good stop up front and – all of a sudden, that game's over because yeah. Tom Brady and the Bucks go up fourteen nothing. So I, I just, I'm not holding that game, um, holding on to that game too much for Zeke. But Agreed. not to not to backtrack on a game we already talked about. Yeah, let's get into the next one. <clears throat> next one I've got is Chargers at the football team. Um, this one was kind of a defensive battle as well. Unfortunately, Ryan Fitzmagic got hurt. And is he out for the year? Like eight, no, he's out for so. eight, ten weeks. Something eight like to ten weeks, I believe. The one question I have from this game for y'all is, do we see a possible Cam Newton signing in the future for the football team? I could or do you roll the dice with Heineke? I think I that – Because I don't think Heineke's the future. I don't think there's anything that's like – oh, we don't want to have a backup behind Heineke that's, like, going to – take his shine like the Patriots said yeah I think that I don't I just don't think that would matter so I think it's a good signing it's it's like the honest truth if you are Ron Rivera if you think that you can win more games with Cam Newton at quarterback you're gonna sign him and if I think this really tells a lot about Cam's future in the league and I know Stephen A. Smith said something this morning that if he doesn't get signed, his career's over. But but I almost agree with that because like this is somebody who's worked with him, who's believed in him in the past. And if Cam doesn't get signed by the Redskins now, this is about as good of a situation as he can come into. There, then his old coach is literally saying, "I think I'm better off trying to win football games with Heineke than I am with Cam Newton at this point." What about and, the money? Probably just a veteran minimum. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure be. Cam would take whatever he did last year with the Patriots. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter. As long as they want him, he's in. And I, I, I but part of me also thinks that uh, 
if there was a deal that was going to be done, it would have been done. Been done. Yep. And so it, we're, we're talking about tomorrow being Wednesday. I think that, don't get me wrong, a bad week from Heineke might turn things around because it's still early in the season. But um, I think we're safe to say for this week that Cam Newton remains in the waivers. Anything else to say about Chargers? Washington, I will say Justin Herbert, man, that dude is legit. I mean, mm-hmm. he just hangs in that pocket and he throws stray lasers, man. He had a couple of people with some big drops, but he still, I mean, especially on the football team's defense, mm-hmm. had, a, had a really nice day and they obviously pulled out the win. That's all he cares about. But, I mean, 31 of 47 for 340 and a touchdown and one pick. But, I mean, that's a solid day for Herbert. Craziest thing I saw for the Chargers was uh, I think their left tackle gave up, like, no pressures the whole game or anything Mm -hmm. against uh, Chase Young. So, if you can have a guy like that run your offensive line for Herbert and he's got time to throw, that team is dangerous. With Jared Cook there now and they got – Mike, Mike Williams, Keenan yep. Allen, and Eckler, one of the best pass catchers out of the backfield. I mean, they're, they're something with that defense with Derwin James back, like you said last week. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Next game was another exciting game. little repeat of the AFC Divisional, it felt like. Browns at Chiefs. The Mahomes had to come come from behind, had to make some magic happen. Uh, I know, I know Harris is watching when Baker made that, um, questionable throw at the end of the game. Wasn't too sure about that one, but also wanted to hit on just cause it's an Auburn guy. Uh, how much, uh, Anthony Schwartz got in the game. I, I was not expecting him to get as many touches and, and they were going to him late in the game. Baker threw him through to him on a fourth and 10 late in the game. So y'all's thoughts on that one. He should have made that catch. Yeah, he should have. He should have made the catch. But that being <laughs> said, the Browns, I mean, the Browns looked really good, if you ask me. Um, they got pressure on Mahomes. Uh, obviously, the the punter screwed things up pretty bad for him by, yeah. by botching that scene. And You're just going to skip talking about Schwartz? Uh, as I already said, that Schwartz should have made that catch. I mean, he ah, just glad, one negative thing. He was uh, a top five PFF graded receiver on the week. Oh, I mean, like great job by Anthony Schwartz. Like I, you know, I love watching what, that Auburn. Round like, pick? what was he? Second, third, fifth round, fifth round, fifth round pick. I'm not I mean, like I'm that not, is like extremely exceeding expectations. Yeah, I was yeah, not expecting him to play got, this year. Got cut right. Or is he still on the roster? But with that being said, it it is exceeding expectations, but I think that all three of us sitting here are not surprised based on Anthony Schwartz's talent that he's able to do this. Like it was it was a talent athleticism that like what we always were looking for an explosive year from him at Auburn, but it was other factors around him that were limiting. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm not I'm like. I guess that's one reason that I'm, I'm not surprised he's playing on that team, especially with Odell out. Like, I think that he's good enough to play on an NFL roster. So, uh, great for Schwartz. Great to see an Auburn guy succeed. Um, but I want to get to the rest of the team because I think the Cleveland Browns honestly proved some people wrong this week. And 
one of those being Owen, who's not on the podcast this week. He is uh, – I think that it was a little bit of a different game than they thought it was going to be because they did rely on Baker, and Baker played really well. I will give him that. He played his ass off in that yep. game. and But it came down to really – what I said last week, which was at some point they're going to have to make some explosive plays on offense. Not just that, but like make some big plays on offense when they need them, because it's going to come down to match it. When you play Patrick Mahomes and chiefs, it's almost like a game of like spades or something like that. Like you have to be able to have that Trump card every single time that somebody lays something down. And Patrick Mahomes and them will always seem to have that trump card on everybody when it comes clutch time. And Baker's last throw, the only thing I'll say about that was I'm not going to blame a guy for trying to make a play, but as a fan, you're hoping that as at this point in his career, he doesn't make decisions like that and tries to throw the ball away. But at the same time, he played a great game, so I'm not going to knock on too Yeah, much. if you're a Browns fan, you're excited about this. I mean, you ran the ball well, averaged six yards per carry as a team. Baker throwing almost 12 yards per completion. Yeah. So seeing him throw it down the field with accuracy for 90% of his throws. So, I yeah. mean – there's nothing you can really be upset about here. Losing a, a close one on the road to a team like that, you got to be optimistic. Yeah, and I mean the game came down to, as Harris said, the punt dropped by the punter, and then just a. But it seems like that happens every game. The damn chunk to Hill, where it's like <sighs> the DB doesn't yeah. even know the ball's in the air, no, nope. and just overruns. It. I mean, perfect defense, and he just runs right by him, and he just lands right in Tyree Kill's lap. It'll not be but, the last time we see that. No, absolutely year. not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, not so let's pick month. a couple more games for us, and then we'll go on to our picks for this All weekend. All right, so let's go to the Packers at Saints mm-hmm. in Jacksonville. Um, this one got ugly quick. Um, <laughs> yeah, it did. The Saints D-line was dominating the game as well as the Saints offensive line. They couldn't really be stopped on third down. Winston was very efficient and obviously threw five touchdowns, um, zero interceptions, which is a new thing for Jameis. Um, but I would like to touch on – did y'all – I don't know if y'all watched the game or not, but I thought Rodgers' body language and decisions that he made kind of – I don't know. It just kind of seemed like he didn't really give – his all in that game. Agreed. The storyline. Sorry, go ahead, Harris. The storyline that the conspiracy theory that Aaron Rodgers is intentionally blowing up the Green Bay Packers organization from the inside could just not be more entertaining to me, even though I know it's completely false. Um, Aaron Rodgers is too much of a competitor to to intentionally lose football (laughs) games. But – He's enough of an asshole to seem like it. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. he, you're right, Ty, the body language. I don't, I, I personally, does, not the biggest yeah, but Rogers that's the thing. When the body language is never, like it to actually losing, it's like there's a big switch and it happens like that. Yeah. Super quick. And I think maybe that happened and either he's going to wake up and fix it or say, screw you to the Packers. Well, and, and you're right, Jerry. Like, I think that there's, 
a fine line between being like, you know, you you actually end up believing that if you're him, like exactly, I I deserve better than this, and like I'm not doing anything wrong by my actions here, and like taking some more drastic measures than he should be, and ends up losing really bad football games and looking like they did this week. I I think that one confirmed Jameis can play on the east coast of Florida. He's not a west coast of Florida guy. No, west coast Florida Jameis is bad. East coast Florida. Jameis is really good. <laughs> also, secondly, um, I think you you were right, Ty. That the de- it was the decision making from Rogers that was like really alerting because we've seen him even be more absent than um, typical quarterback, like in training camp and in the off season, and then come in and still have this sense and quality decision making. A yep. standard that he sets for himself, but this game just wasn't it. And I thought that the I thought that the um, press conference after the game was kind of interesting as well. I don't know if you guys heard what he said about Lafleur, but Lafleur said, um, "I think his comment were was we got embarrassed," is what he said, which I think we'd all agree with. And Aaron Rodgers said, "You know, if he wants to say that, he can." But I just say that it's week one, and. Mm. And you mm. and it's a long season. It just got longer this year, and still, it's the first game of the year. Which I don't know. That's just typical Aaron Rodgers like talk and him knowing that the big games are yet to come. But it seemed like a little you know of him not taking responsibility for getting his ass kicked. Yeah, yeah. And I thought I thought the biggest throw, the play that really made me question if he was giving his all was the I don't know if y'all they were kind of backed up in their end zone and he yeah, just kind of chunked it down the field and <laughs> double coverage I think it was I think yeah it was yeah but also I don't know who made the pick but the defender the deep safety had to like get on his horse to even get to the ball it was so far overthrown yeah. and it's like Aaron Rodgers has one of the best deep balls of all time, and he does rarely miss and rarely by 20 yards to where the receiver even looked like he stopped running for the ball. It was just kind of questionable, and well, but maybe it is just week one. And, of course, in typical pa- Packers fashion, they get to come home and play the Lions on Monday Night Football, and that will probably get them right back on Prime track. Time. Well, this is a big storyline, though, because it's either going to be – you're either going to be saying, oh, the Packers are back on track, or you drop one to the Lions at home, and then <laughs> the the Rodgers intentionally losing train might actually start chugging along. But I, <laughs> I don't see that happening. I think yeah. they'll take care of business. If they lose that game, they ain't making the playoffs. No way. <clears throat> um, let's go on to the next game. Should we talk about Broncos Giants? No, not much to talk about. Not much. Not I mean, worth talking about. We'll wait till Owen gets back. Yeah, to yeah, to talk some shit stinks. about the Giants. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right, then Bears Rams Sunday Night Football. The this Stafford is the game I want to talk about. Is in effect in Los Angeles. He was th- throwing that bitch deep, throwing it short, very effective, very efficient. Um. Another person that I wanted to talk about was David Montgomery. I thought he really showed out. He is a really good back. Um, 
And also, why the fuck is Fields not in the game? <laughs> <laughs> like, I just don't understand. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's getting to the. Uh, it's gonna get. It's gonna the Soldier Field's gonna burn down here soon if Justin if Justin Fields doesn't get in the game. Really, it's gonna burn down because people are gonna get sick and tired of Andy Dalton really, really fast here yeah. soon. But one one big takeaway from this game: a lot of jersey. A lot of number switches for the Rams. Anybody else notice that? Anybody else I did. A that? lot of single digits. A lot of single Ramsey digits. Robert, yeah. Robert Woods changes. Ramsey changes. Uh, Cooper Cup changes. And then you have Stafford brought in as well. A lot of, yeah. lot of jersey numbers who was throwing me off. Also, another jersey switch for the Rams. Like, they can't yeah, stay Jesus. on one jersey for like a, more than a year. So. The Rams are kind of like the Oregon of the NFL with their uniforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except <laughs> they look a lot worse. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but no, I think that my my biggest thing from this game, man, is I in the podcast last week. If you listened, I pre my preseason pick for MVP was Aaron Donald. Um, if we could go back and amend those picks now, I would pick Jalen Ramsey. Because the role that he's playing in this defense um, for for Raheem Morris and the uh, who was the interim at for the Falcons and is now the defensive coordinator for uh, the um, Rams is very unique. And the fact that they're getting him more involved with just the defensive scheme in general by bringing him off the edge and less isolated, like makes all the sense in the world. Like he's too good of a playmaker, too good of an open field tackler. He's playing this almost hybrid, like defensive back safety outside linebacker position um, that they call the star. And I just saw him all over the field all night making plays. And he seems like he's got even more energy that's coming from him uh, by doing that. I thought Stafford and the offense looked great. Um, it was interesting to see Stafford and all these like bootleg Sean McVay play calls, like rolling out right and left and like showing off the arm uh, compared mm-hmm. to just the typical, like, you know, six or eight step drop back that you do in Detroit or just like the shotgun formation. <laughs> and they had him running with the most simple football uh, schemes in, in history, but McVay's got the right things cooking. And I'm interested to see how the Rams look this year. Donald got double teamed all night. Um, so not a great start for my MVP pick, but Jalen Ramsey looked really good. Yeah, I mean, another thing that I wrote down from this game was I never really heard Khalil Mack's name the entire game. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I wasn't watching closely enough, but I just don't know. Especially last year too, he wasn't really. Is he really worth all that money that they paid him? I mean, some will say yes, but since they paid him. They haven't been back to that kind of high seed in the playoffs. Obviously, they made the playoffs last year, but they got destroyed by the Saints. Well, that's one interesting thing about that McVay offense is like running all those bootleg formations. Yeah, you can't really get get away from guys like that. Yeah, it's harder for him to get involved. So that's true. It's a great offensive style against a team like that that has pass rushers coming off the edge to kind of get them out of the game, especially yeah. without a great secondary. It's kind of like perfect game plan. Yeah. And honestly, I think they like give um, – what's it called? Give Chicago's defense a little credit in this game. They actually stayed in there a lot longer than I thought they would yeah. because of their defense. Roquan Smith looked really good in the open field, making tackles on a lot of those Rams playmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
kill you just mentioned Khalil Mack's name, but somebody else in the defensive line who stood, stood out was Akeem Hicks. Uh, looked really, really good. So, I mean, I think if you're in Chicago, if you can build a little momentum on offense and you have Montgomery carrying the ball, and who knows, field gets, Fields gets in the situation sooner rather than later, you never know. You might have some magic brewing in Chicago. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, the two blown coverages – where people were just wide open, really cost them. I mean, that's that's 14 points that makes it a 14-20 game right there. Without, I mean, that Cooper Cup touchdown was like Bama playing Mercer wide open, <clears throat> and no one even near him. Mm-hmm. But going to Monday Night Football, we got Ravens at Raiders. This was probably the weirdest game of the weekend. A little back and forth up and down game, weird endings. Um, ended up with Derek Carr launching a moon ball to Zay, Zay Jones on a on a zero blitz play from the Ra- Ra- uh, Ravens. Uh, and they pull it out after a Lamar Jackson fumble late in the game. Um, y'all's thoughts on the rest of the season for the Ravens and the Raiders? 19 targets for Darren Waller is the main thing I – I had to take away from this game. I think he uh, he's taking that step into one of those elite tight ends. It's basically a wide receiver one for his team. I think he's been really good, but I think he's up there with the Kelsey and the Kittles nowadays. And uh, I thought it was kind of odd, though, because it seemed like Derek Carr, every play was throwing it to, to Waller. And with the weapons they also have, like Brian Edwards and – Rugs, who I'm not sold on after last night, but Hunter Renfro is also and pretty Renfro good too. It just seems like the play calling was a little bit either the play calling or just Derek Carr doesn't trust anyone else besides Waller. But I think if they want to be a good team, they got to find find another way to get the ball out from Derek Carr. Yeah, I was waiting for, and maybe this will happen, but I was waiting almost for uh, the Ravens to kind of take a play out of the Rams playbook and and bring Marlon Humphrey off of the off the outside and bring him into a little bit more of the interior part of the defense and just jam Waller up a little bit more at the line. Mm-hmm. They went uh, for that in the third quarter and he still was getting by him. So well either way, um I think the story of this game was that the Ravens really are depleted on their whole roster, both sides of the ball and the secondary particularly. And then with, even with the wide receivers that they have, it just seemed like Lamar did everything he could scratch and clawed. I know he had the two fumbles and you can blame those on him because, but Max Crosby absolutely torched Villanueva all night was getting home to Lamar Jackson more times than it felt like almost every single play Lamar was under pressure. Yeah. So their offensive line wasn't holding up. Uh, Tyson Williams actually looked really good for them. He had some explosion and speed with the mix of Latavius Murray. The back situation wasn't the worst thing, um, but that's also attributed to part of Lamar's ability to run the ball and being a run threat too. Um, but I thought Lamar looked super solid other than that. I thought he made some really good throws. I thought he looked, pretty comfortable in the pocket. I thought he operated the pocket and managed the game well. And I really thought that when they got the ball back, he was going to draw down the field and score a game-winning touchdown. But uh, obviously I was wrong, and the Raiders ended up getting the win. Carl Nassib had other plans, Harris. 
Um, <laughs> uh, but another thing I want to talk about, how about that kick from Carlson? Man, that was that was big time. Another career long. Guy. Yeah, career long uh, to, to send it to overtime. Jared um, said it would have been good from 65. Oh, yes. yeah, it was a boot. It was, left it was a bomb. Foot, he looked up and he knew it was in. Yeah, sir. All right, well, uh, I think we can just go down the the list for the games this week and quickly kind of talk maybe just a hair and make some picks for the upcoming week in the NFL. What was the records last week, Ty? So Ty was nine and seven along with Owen nine and seven and Harris bringing up the rear at eight and eight, just, just a tad. So we're going to be keeping up with these. (laughs) 16 Uh, coming for me this week. Well, Owen, Owen, Owen's, I'll uh, take I'll take uh, Jarrett's picks for Owen this week. Now Jarrett gets a board of his own. He'll be get a okay. Yeah, uh, I'll get a, I'll get a Jarrett pick. All right. So the first first game on the board is Thursday night football, Giants at Washington football team. The football team is favored by three and a half. Give me the Giants in this spread. Or yeah, spread. Okay. Give me the Giants in this one. Uh, football team coming off with injuries. I think the Giants have enough on both sides of the ball. I think them and the Broncos actually didn't play bad football this week. So I'll take the Giants to cover the spread. Um, if the football team can manage to beat them, I don't think by it's it's by more than a field goal. So G men. For Owen, Man, there. This is Over a tough there. pick for me, Jerry. You can go ahead and say your pick if you've got it. Okay, uh, I think I'm going with the Giants as well. I just don't see Heineke stepping up this early without getting a lot of first team reps, and I think the Giants are going to show up a little more with Saquon, kind of getting his feet back under him again. I'm going I'm to go with Washington. I just don't see the Giants being good. I just can't. Their performance this week against Denver just really, really let me down. This is my sleeper team of the year, the New York Giants. So you could maybe call this a little bit of a reverse psych pick for me. But I'm going to go with the football team to cover three and a half. I was um, trying to try to find a whip in shape. I think <laughs> yeah. Um, the next one we've got is Saints at Panthers. The Panthers are underdogs, three and a half points home dog. Uh, I'll go ahead and take the Saints. Yeah, I mean, I think the Saints looked super solid on defense up front last week. Got pressure pressure on Aaron Rodgers and uh, in Green Bay or against Green Bay, and then their secondary and being able to lock up a number one receiver using Marshawn Lattimore was uh, super impressive as well. And then they, I think once again it comes down to Jameis's decision making, uh, but I think using Alvin Kamara, this is like the uh, skillsy back bowl, like just yeah, the exactly. backs use the guys that they have around them, and then. Let your defense make plays. I'll I'll take the Saints to cover three and a half. It's three and a half, right? Yep. Yeah, I'll take the Saints to cover three and a half as well. And uh, sorry, Sam Darnold. I think I got to go with the Panthers on this one. Uh, at home, I think having McCaffrey back, Darnold played a good game. I think he'll build on that. 
And looking at these, the injury report for the Saints, Lattimore doubtful, Michael Thomas is out, Davenport is questionable. So I'm thinking maybe the this is one of my upsets of the week. Panthers could pull it out at home. Oh, wow. Upset for the Panthers over the Saints. Now we got Texans at Browns. Um, the Browns are favored by 12 and a half. Oh, man. This is a big spread, but I'm going to take it. I think Cleveland bounces back, and I think they gash the Texans with Chubb and Hunt, and I'll take them to cover 12 and a half. It's crazy that sounds. This is a Tyrod Taylor revenge game. Um, trying to take back his old position against Baker Mayfield and the Browns. I think that uh, I'm with you, Ty. It's a lot of points. I'm not sure if the Texans can cover. And uh, I'll take the Browns to make some plays, open up the offense, get the deep ball working, run the ball in the red zone using Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and then get some pressure on the quarterback with Miles Garrett. Uh, and I'll, I'll take them 12 and a half. Yeah. I'll take them. <laughs> I'll take the Browns covering at, in Cleveland, correct? Yep. Yeah. This one is, is getting me. I don't know. I really – I really feel like the Browns are going to win, obviously. But 12 and a half, like, that's just insane. But I think I got to go with them. I got to go with the Browns. Clean, clean sweep. All right. Now we got Bengals at Bears. Bears are favored by three. Um, Y'all can go ahead and make your picks for this one. I got to think a little bit. The Bengals surprised me last week with their abilities uh, on the offensive side of the ball. After everything we heard about Jamar Chase throughout training camp, uh, he pulled a fast one on us and just absolutely torches the Vikings' defense. We just talked about the Bears' defense, though, uh, being you know better than – not better than, but very capable as they have been the past few years. Um, so I think that it's about maybe Khalil Mack, and if you can get in and get pressure on Burrow and – uh, force them to get the ball a little quicker and not let those routes develop for all those wide receivers. Um, I would guess this one would be uh, what was the spread again, Ty? Bears minus three. Yeah, I'll take I'll take the Bengals to cover. Um, I don't know about the Bears offensively, and maybe this is the game that we see Justin Fields make an appearance just out of frustration, but. The Bears keep trending like they were last game. I know this uh, Bengals defense is a lot worse than the Rams, but I think they have the uh, I think they have the ability to uh, get some stops against this Bears team. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with the same there. I think uh, the way Joe Mixon was running the ball and uh, obviously Jamar Chase and all the other guys they have out there for Joe Burrow, I think uh, I think they're ready to take that step to to beat a good defense like this. Probably going to regret this pick, but I'm going to take the Bears. I think the lack of offensive line protection for Joe Burrow is going to get to him this week with Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack and Roquan Smith. And I think the Bears are probably going to correct some stuff on the back end, not allow as many explosive plays. And I think that I think they'll win this game. And by by four or more, I'll take. You know what, Ty? You convinced me. I'm flipping. <laughs> I, I'm going Bears to cover to cover 
Uh, oh, actually, you know, this is really a game that I, I want to take. I want to take the Bears to win, but but um, Cincinnati to cover. But I'm going to go with I'm going to go Bears to cover. You've convinced me, Ty. I think they get <laughs> enough pressure on Joe Burrow, and you know that Bengals defense is pretty bad. So we'll see. Yeah. All right. Next, we got Ra- Raiders at the Steelers. The Steelers are minus five and a half. I'm going to go ahead and take the Raiders. Dang, confident with it to to cover that one. Yeah, I'll take them. I'll take the Raiders here to cover five and a half. Also, I mean, I know this is a really really strong Steelers defense that just stopped a really good Bills offense last week, but uh, I don't know if the Steelers can put up enough points. Like that's still my question. And yeah. uh, so I don't think that there's any reason like without a block punt last week, I don't think that this, that this Steelers team might not be in the same position they are in now. And we're looking at them a little bit differently. And um, Josh Jacobs health is a big thing for me as well. If he can be healthy a hundred percent in this game last night, he played well, but was dealing with the toe injury. Um, so we will see if the Raiders can be back to their form they were against the Ravens. This is going to be a lot bigger test for them, but I do think that the Raiders will cover. I disagree here. I got the Steelers covering. Um, I think, honestly, offensively, it wasn't worst-case scenario against the Bills, but it was pretty dull. Running game really wasn't there with Najee. Ben had a completely average game. I think – to beat a team like the Bills on the road, I was on the road, correct? Yes. By seven, and then turn around and play the Raiders at home. I think they're confident going into that game. And if the defense plays as well as it did on Sunday, I think they cover that five and a half. All right. I got Bills at Dolphins next. I'm going to go ahead and, again, quick one. Bills cover three and a half. Uh, they got beat last week. I don't think Josh Allen is going to lose to a division rival, especially one of the Dolphins without high-powered offense. I, th- I think they win by four or more. Yeah, Dolphins' defense is good enough to stop Mac Jones and the Pats. I think the Bills bust out for their first big play of the year and keep the ball rolling. And Bills cover three and a half. I got the Bills as well. I think they bounce back from that same game we just talked about, or I just talked about, and they make a – I think they win by at least a touchdown here. Rams at Colts. Colts are plus four. I'll take the Rams to cover four. I think Wentz was under pressure a lot last week against the Seahawks defensive line. And I don't want to know what's going to happen when they have Donald out there. So I'm going to take the Rams to cover. Yep, can't agree anymore. I'll take the Rams covering four. I think this is the uh, bet of the week. But now that I say that, Colts will win by 20. So, <laughs> But, yeah, I got the Rams as well. All right, next one, 49ers at Eagles. Niners had a little bit of a scare with the Lions coming back at the end. We didn't talk about that one, but – the Eagles are plus four at home, first home game of the year. But, oh, man, I'm going to take the 49ers to cover four. I don't know why, but I am. I'm going to take the Eagles to keep it rolling. Um, I, I don't know how good this 49ers defense is. 
Uh, we've seen it be good the past few years, but I got a lot of questions if Jared Goff and those guys are putting up 30 on you. Um, I wasn't expecting that from Shanahan's defense. 49ers can run the ball. I need to see him make some plays on the outside against a better secondary than the Lions. I'm not sure if the Eagles are that team, but Jalen Hurts and Devonta Smith are going to give him some competition. They're going to they're going to cover four. I got the Eagles as well. I got them winning out right here. I think uh, mm. uh, that's my sleeper team of the year. I think they got with Jalen Hurts coming back and kind of getting that second year going and I, they got miles sanders at running back devonta smith coming in at wide receiver i mean i don't know i'm just not a big garoppolo guy i don't think he's going to get the job done and obviously with all the running backs that the niners have out i don't think their running game is going to be the same and i think the eagles are going to pull this one out all right this is a a little bit of a Boring game. Broncos at Jaguars. The Jaguars are plus six. <sighs> I'll just kick this one to Harris. Let me think a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we saw the Broncos beat a better team on the road last week in the Giants than the Jaguars. So I'll take Broncos cover again. Teddy Bridgewater starts out 2-0 and with the Broncos' new QB. I'm going to take the Broncos as well. I think uh, I think it just comes down to Teddy will make less mistakes than Trevor Lawrence. And at the end of the day, that usually decides a lot of football games in the NFL. So, Yeah, I think the Broncos are better at almost every position on the field than the Jaguars, except for maybe receiver. And I'll take them to cover the six as well. Real quick, quick too, a tough game for Trevor Lawrence to bounce back from playing a really, really good Broncos secondary after a a rough first week against the Texans. Um, It's going to be a lot of pressure on him not to turn the ball over. All right, now we got a a big rivalry game, Patriots at Jets. Um, The Patriots are favored by six. I think I'm going to take the Jets to cover, but the Patriots will win this game. Yeah, I agree. I think that I think the Jets cover. They were in a close one last week, and I think that they can get the job done again this week and uh, at least at least bust up through the spread and uh, end up covering at least what was it six 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 mm-hmm. covering six. I agree. Gonna, I think the I'm Jets gonna, cover. I'm going to change my pick to New England rookie quarterback against Belichick. Never works out well. I'm gonna take the take New England. Um, all right, Vikings at Cardinals. The Cardinals are favored by five. This line is a little weird to me. I was thinking that that might be closer to seven or eight, maybe, but Cardinals minus five. Um, so weird line. I'm gonna take the other side. Let me give the Vikings the cover five. Uh, I agree, Todd. This is a NFL. Just, I think this is just an NFL every given any given Sunday type of game. The league gets turned on its head. One week they beat the Titans, the next week they lose to the Vikings. Give me Vikings covering five and a half against the Cardinals this week. I'm going to take the Cardinals here. Um, after what I saw against Tannehill, who was in the pocket quarterback, it, it's got me worried for Kirk. With some of those guys coming off the edge. Now they got JJ Watt and everything. So I'm taking the Cardinals here and uh got them to cover as well. 
right. Next one I've got is Falcons at Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are 12 and a half point favorites against the Falcons. <sighs> and I'm going to take Tom Brady absolutely owns the Falcons and I will take the Bucks to cover 12 and a half. Yeah, I'll take the Bucks covering 12 and a half here too. The points don't seem too big in this game for some reason. And Falcons lost to a lot worse team in the, in the Philadelphia Eagles last week uh, by a lot more than 12 points. I'll take the Falcons losing by more than 12 and a half. Yeah, give me the Buccaneers to win by at least 20. So, <laughs> oh, dubbing them. Jared dubbing goes, them. give me the extended odds. No, <laughs> give me the 12 and a half for the moment. But yeah. I got them winning by 20. All right. Another uh, good matchup here that I'm looking forward to is Titans at Seahawks. The Seahawks are favored by five and a half. I think the Titans bounce back here. It seems that team, like NFL teams always do this. They just get blown out, and then the next week they come out and look like a completely different squad. So I'm going to take the tits to cover five and a half. Still believe in Vrabel. That's a good coach. Still believe in that team. Uh, I'll take uh, Titans covering five and a half as well. Yeah, I do as well. I think uh, Rabel's always been known for his bounce backs after a loss, so I got us taking them down. Cowboys at Chargers. This one could be one of the games of the week. The Chargers are favored by three. I'm going to take the, them Cowboys to win outright in this game. You already know, Ty. You already know. I'm picking. The, I'm k- picking them boys. So <laughs> cover three, my sleeper team of the year. I think the Chargers started out on the right note, but they're going to see a little bit more dynamic play making from Dak Prescott than they are from the Washington Football Team. Uh, give me the Dallas Cowboys winning outright. Yeah, I got to take the Chargers here. I think. Uh... I think offensively they're pretty comparable. Maybe Dallas has a slight edge, but I think defensively the the Chargers have a, a much better much better side right there. So I'm gonna take the Chargers to uh not shut down the Cowboys, but definitely slow them down enough to get the job done. All right. Now we're moving to Sunday night football. We've got the Chiefs at the Ravens. This one should be a fun matchup. I'm just- I would be shocked if this is not a little somewhat of a shootout. Lamar Jackson's going to be on a mission to win after a, a terrible loss last night. Probably probably sick to his stomach losing that one. Um, the Ravens are plus four, and I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take the Ravens to cover four. Uh, this one's tough for me. Uh, I want Lamar and the guys to play well because. Um, I really felt bad for him last night, losing a close one against the Raiders. And I like those guys a lot, like what they're doing. But I just don't know if you have much gas left in the tank after a long game last week and a little bit of a hangover and the Chiefs come out and they're firing firing on all cylinders. Uh, Give me Chiefs to cover four. I got to take the Chiefs as well here. I think uh, think it comes down to, you know, Pat Mahomes at the end of the game, kind of like – Derek Carr last night, it's he's gonna have to make a play at the end of the game, and I think he makes it and they win by a touchdown. 
Last game on the on the list is Monday Night Football Lions at the Packers. Packers coming off a blowout loss. They are favored by ten and a half. I will take the Detroit Lions to cover ten and a half. Lions played well last week. Showed they had a little fight in them. You can say what you want about Jared Goff, but I think he's an overall pretty tough guy. Not going to lay down here for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And the Detroit Lions, I agree with you, Ty. Cover 10 and a half. I agree as well. I don't I don't know if I got them outright winning, but at least they'll Ooh, come back. Say it. Say it. <laughs> no, I don't have it, but – I think I think they'll lose by five or six. So they'll be in the they'll be in the hunt. Any any anyone want to throw out their lock of the week? I think Jerry, you said the Rams was your lock of the week at minus four against the Colts. Yeah, that's my lock. Harris, you got a lock yeah, of the week. I think my lock of the week, as far as covering the spread, it's got to be Tom Brady and the Bucks covering twelve and a half against the Falcons. Big spread. I think that my lock, your lock is them week. covering or your lock is them winning? Well, well, my lock is them winning, but I'll take them to cover as well, obviously. Okay. <clears throat> Man. Actually, I take that back. My Are we lock doing of locks the week, against the spread or I take like that win outright? Against the spread. Okay. I take that back. My lock against the spread is the Broncos covering, what was it? Six? Let me look. Broncos. Yeah, six against the Jaguars. I'll take the Broncos as a lock to cover six this week. And I'm doing this strictly because it's based off of my Sunday night football philosophy. I'm going with my lock of the week as the Baltimore Ravens covering four against the Chiefs. Sunday night football. This is is my – I'll – Give a little tip out to the listeners. I take whoever the public is on. If it's over 70%, you take the other side because Vegas never loses on big games. You take the other side and you hit every time. Last week, it was 60-40 with the Rams. Didn't touch it because the Rams ended up covering the spread. Right now, the public money, 88% is on the Chiefs. At minus four, I'm taking the Ravens to cover. That's my lock of the week. Like the logic there. I like it. Loved it. Love to see it explained from a mathematical standpoint. Yeah, exactly. A betting standpoint. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up our second episode and covering the second week of college football and first week of NFL football. It's great having Jared back on the podcast to cover up a uh for a wounded soldier in Owen White who's down bad with a some type of illness, not able to bounce back this week. Uh, but glad to have Jared in. We'll keep you guys updated with his picks as he'll be a reoccurring guest throughout this uh, season. And Ty, any last words before heading off to Happy Valley? And Wardam Eagle, let's get this W, guys. War Eagle, it's game War time. Eagle. All right, well, that sounds good, fellas. Thanks for listening. As always, like and subscribe and uh, let us know what we can do better and things you guys want to hear. Thanks for tuning in. Peace. See you.